0: Help.com/sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tenasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a 2.5 million dollar grant One of the most empowering things that I've learned in my research is that not everyone experiences alcohol in the same way. When I got sober, I started talking to my husband more about his experience, and I started interacting with people in the sober community who shared my experience with alcohol. And over time, I realized how different my husband and I actually were with this. In this episode, I want to talk about five ways that we think differently than take-it-or-leave-it drinkers. And I'm going to use the word normal occasionally in the episode. And just as a reminder, I don't think that we're abnormal and bad. It just makes the most sense for me to describe it that way right now. I think it's really helpful to understand and appreciate how the take it or leave it drinker actually approaches alcohol because it allows us to see how different our experience is from theirs. So let's dig in. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm your host, Jill, and today we are talking about all the weird ways that we think about alcohol that we think are completely normal until we stop drinking and realize that we don't actually have to think this way all the time. So the first one, will there be enough for me? I didn't even realize that this was not a normal way to think. I hated socializing in groups because I had to watch other people drink and they usually drink too slowly or as I described to my therapist recently, they didn't drink correctly. And I know you know what I mean. I would have to try to make my drink last longer because I didn't want to be getting my third drink while other people are still sipping on their first. And this is why I preferred to drink alone or I would only socialize with one binge drinker, so I could drink the way that I wanted to. But the thought of will there be enough for me is so heartbreaking, and I didn't realize it back then. I used to be in a panic when the bartender or server was taking too long to realize that I needed another drink, or if I was at a family thing and there was only a certain amount of alcohol. I would be terrified that the alcohol would run out and there wouldn't be enough for me to drink. So instead of paying attention to whoever I was with, most of my attention was on the level of wine in the bottle, how much was left in everyone's glass, and how many glasses they had so far. The worst of this was at a family get together, it probably had like 15 people at this thing. And we had two bottles of wine for 15 people. And I hope that you felt a little panic in your heart when I said that. Because 15 people cannot share two bottles of wine. Well, my family, they are perfectly capable of sharing two bottles of wine between 15 people and having some wine left over. But the whole night, I was in a panic and obsessively monitoring how much everybody was drinking so that I could make sure there was enough for me. I knew what drink everyone was on how quickly they were drinking, and what the level of wine left in the bottles was. That is not fun at all. If you have this panic too, and you keep rationalizing that your drinking isn't that bad, then just know that a take-it-or-leave-it drinker would never feel anxiety about whether or not there was enough alcohol for them. That's the definition of take-it-or-leave-it drinker. They can take it, or they can leave it. And they don't care either way. They don't have to monitor how much alcohol everyone is consuming or how much is left in the bottle. And now that I don't drink, I can recognize this panic in other people. I hate seeing someone panicking that they can't get another drink or anxiously trying to get someone to notice them in a restaurant. We think that drinking is fun and it helps us socialize, but when 99% of your attention is focused on alcohol, You aren't really socializing, and that definitely is not any fun. Number two, I can't imagine never drinking again. Do you think this way with anything else? If you had to give up chocolate, pizza, or Netflix, you would definitely be sad. And it would be challenging, but you'd survive. With alcohol, the thought of never drinking again is unfathomable and feels like the most depressing thing in the entire world. I thought if I couldn't figure out how to moderate, then my life would be over. If you're struggling to try out sobriety because you can't imagine a life without alcohol, then that's a sign that you shouldn't ignore. I know it seems scary, but it's so much easier to have zero drinks than to try to control it with a bunch of rules. You feel afraid about life without drinking, but it might surprise you when you really try it out. I've never heard anyone say, I am so glad that I waited this long to get sober. Everyone always wishes that they did it sooner. And a big part of sobriety is proving that you don't need alcohol. Try to do things without it, like not drinking after work, getting through a big negative emotion without turning it off, and doing other things on the weekend. Over time, you'll see that everything is better without alcohol. But until you prove this to yourself, By giving sobriety a chance, you will always carry around this fear. Number three, believing we will eventually be cured and thinking, has it been long enough or maybe I can moderate now? When you stop drinking, the problems that it was causing in your life are right in front of your face. They're obvious and they cause you a lot of pain. But as you spend more time in sobriety, the negatives fade away and your reasons for drinking start to become more present. I talked about this in episode 79, Why We Romanticize Alcohol, but we typically remember our past to be more positive than it actually was. And this protects us, because who wants to look back on their life and realize that it sucked? This is a bad thing though with alcohol, because you may start looking back on your drinking fondly, instead of seeing it for what it was. For people that are chronically relapsing, this might show up as saying you're never going to drink again after a really bad night of drinking, but then by day three or four when the hangover has faded and you feel better again, you talk yourself back into drinking. And that's because the pain has faded a bit and your reasons for drinking are starting to show up now. I have a few different episodes on the value that we place on alcohol, and I'll put those in the show notes for you. But for me, I quit for 90 days with the intention of curing myself. I believed that my drinking was just a bad habit that needed to be broken, and my tolerance was too high. If only I could just lower my tolerance and break my daily drinking habit, then I wouldn't drink so much alcohol. But one of the reasons that time doesn't cure us is because when you consistently reinforce over years and years and years that alcohol is essential and is the solution to your problems, it carves out pathways in the brain because of neuroplasticity. I described this process in episode 99, but basically when we quit drinking, these pathways don't just disappear. They become dusty over time, But they don't go away. And if you go back to drinking, you will slowly strengthen these pathways until you're back to normal. And that's what I want you to understand too. You're not drinking the way that you are because of a high tolerance, a bad habit, other people, or a stressful job. That is just the way that you drink. That's normal drinking for you. Some people drink heavily and it's situational. And when the thing resolves, they just relax back into whatever type of drinking they were doing before. But we try so hard to change our drinking and we can't. And that's the difference. And that's why it's not situational. It's just the way that we are. When I went back to drinking after 90 days, I moderated for two months and I had never moderated in my entire life. I drank two glasses of wine on Saturday nights and I didn't want any more than that. I found an off switch for the first time. And I truly believed that I was cured. But when I had my first opportunity to really drink on a cruise, I went right back to normal, which for me was daily drinking with no control. It wasn't even a gradual thing. And I eventually was able to accept that despite my strong desire to moderate, that is just the way that I drink. Which leads me to number four, thinking that one drink is a waste of time. There was a time in my life where I was sharing a bottle of wine with my husband Sunday through Wednesdays, and then partying hard all the other days. It was a brief period of time, but I did it for a bit. And every time we shared a bottle, I always stopped before I was satisfied because the alcohol ran out, not because I actually decided to stop. I would go to bed and think, I should have just had none, because then at least I could have felt proud of myself. My husband was perfectly satisfied with his half bottle and was shocked to learn years later that I never was and that I thought it was a waste of time. We so desperately want to have just one drink, but one drink doesn't satisfy us. You're not choosing that. The amount of alcohol that satisfies you is out of your control. Some people can force themselves to stop before they're satisfied and then they just fight off cravings for more, but that's not a pleasant experience. That sounds pretty stressful to me. Take it or leave it drinkers will have a certain amount of alcohol and stop not because they force themselves, but because they're satisfied. They don't have to fight off a craving or follow a plan. They just stop when they're done. Something that helped me a lot in my sobriety was understanding how different I am from a take-it-or-leave-it drinker. And I think the biggest difference is number five, which is the obsession. When you struggle with something, whether it's alcohol, a bad relationship, food, whatever, there's a lot of bargaining and convincing ourselves that it's okay. We don't have to convince ourselves that fruit or exercise is okay. We're bargaining and rationalizing with alcohol because we know deep down that it's not okay. And that we'd be better off without it. We're just grasping for any excuse to make drinking okay. When I was drinking, I didn't realize that it's not normal to think about your drinking 24-7. We get so stuck in the obsession that we can't even recognize that it's an obsession. I explain why this might be happening in episode 127, so listen to that. If you didn't, and you want to understand why you're thinking about it constantly. But the best part of sobriety for me, besides not hating myself anymore, is being free from the obsession. Some people can moderate, but they still think about it all the time and have cravings. It's not about the quantity. And if you're saying I only drink this much, or it's not like I drink every day or in the morning, none of that matters. What matters is how much it's impacting your quality of life. If you're rationalizing why it's not that bad, then it's probably impacting your life a lot. Even though sobriety feels really scary, it's the best thing I've ever done. And if you look at most sober people, they will say the same. They'll say, I wish I did this sooner. So if you have that feeling in your heart that you know drinking is a problem for you, just give it a chance. Get some support. You don't have to do this alone. And I will talk to you next week. Oh, hey, it's Aaron.